You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 228. Today, I'm sitting down with Coach Brandon Schultz, and we're discussing the human component to programming. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And if this is the first time that you're hanging out with me today, welcome. I am super pumped that you're here. First of all, I just want to give a huge shout out to Chris for really helping me this last week with the episodes and making sure that the show is staying on track while I continue to focus and really harness in the upgrades that are happening over here at the Simpson Fitness and friends, they really have. So you have not listened to the episodes that I have been sharing in earlier in the year and also in the end of the year where I was recapping 2022 and really moving into what's happening inside of the Simpson Fitness in 2023, then definitely check that out because I have really been focusing in on the performance of the accelerators and really just honing in my systematic approach and process to effectively help you grow and scale a profitable business. And it's just been really incredible to see some of the results because this has not only has this been in requiring me to shift my focus into a systematic approach, but it's also been really rewarding to see the accelerators succeed. I mean, it's really just been so incredible to focus all my attention on to the accelerators businesses and just seeing how they are thriving and thriving during times where everyone says, oh no, no one is going to purchase in in December. December's the slowest month of the year. And honestly, I've had clients that have had their biggest month to date, business to consumer. So it's just been a really incredible experience and I've really loved it. And if you want to learn more about what we have going on over here, what is this process, then be sure to check out this free resource. It is a free opt-in and I walk you through exactly what it is that we're doing so that you can see what has been happening over here. And for the accelerators, you can definitely check that out. We'll make sure that we link that up here in the show notes as well. So Thank you to Chris, who's really been driving the podcast because it's been really amazing to both connect with accelerators and with other coaches. And it's really allowed me the space to stay focused in just the way that I wanted to be focused in 2023. So I'm really excited to introduce Brandon Schultz, who is an incredible coach who is now shifting into the education component 
component of coaching trainers. So he is a online coach that owns his own business, Atomic Performance, an educator for personal training development named Prescript. He developed a course around breathing and training. And honestly, inside of this episode, we talk a lot about the human component to coaching, to programming, to really uncovering some of the misconceptions that a lot of new trainers get into. He shares his own personal journey and how he got to where he is now. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What's up, Brandon? Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? I'm doing so good and I'm super pumped to dive in today. So for those of us and those of you listening who haven't been introduced to your work, can you please share with us a little bit about who you are, who you serve and how you got there? Yeah, of course. The famous, tell me a little bit about yourself. (laughs) I love it. So my name is Brandon Schultz. I'm a personal trainer and an educator now. So I've sort of made a transition into trainer education and focusing on bringing my knowledge and and skills and whatnot to a younger training crowd, or like even just people who are looking to just get better at their job. But I'm uh, I'm a personal trainer, as I said, and I've been in the industry for about seven years or or so. So not not as long as some people have, but definitely, uh, definitely, I've, I've been around the block a little bit. So I've had a bit of an interesting kind of transition into personal training. It started with kind of like, it's kind of started with a personal hobby and as a personal love for just working out and training. I was in school for something that completely unrelated to fitness, although there is some ties there. It was in psychology. So it took two years there. Yeah, it's we know for sure that there's a there's big tie to mental health and uh, yeah, well-being there. So, yeah, for the most part tra- made that transition to personal training out of just pure love for it and wanting to share my personal experiences with other people. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. I love it. Okay, and I can't wait to dive into the education side. And for the record, 7 years, well, it only it seems like that's not a long time when you compare it to other people, but but the majority of trainers who come into this world, they don't have the longevity. And I think that it's partly because the, the barrier of entry is so low, which is a good and bad thing. And then people, if they don't learn the necessary skills in, in communication, which is why psychology is so important, as well as the science of biomechanics, then, then it's hard. That's why, in my opinion, why so many people tend to struggle and then quit when they're right, when they're almost there. So that's, I think that that seven years is a great start to an awesome career. So with that said, what brought you to personal training? Personal training was, it was like kind of filling the void for psychology. I was like, I, I knew early on in like the the university years, I spent two years doing that. I knew early on that I, I didn't want to spend 10 years in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of that 10 years being kind of I guess it's a bad word, but it's kind of stunted in your like personal communication skills because there's such a focus on theory and not enough on the communication side of things and and the people side, which is the really important thing. So I I just kind of found found personal training through really my personal injury history. I actually like I got injured and I've had a bit of a tumultual relationship with with fitness, and then eventually after that injury, coming back to it 
maybe two years later, I was able to kind of work through, find some help, get some advice and take myself out of a place of kind of darkness in some, in some ways. And I wanted to be able to share that with other people and help them in healthy habits and get healthy, get fit, get strong without getting injured. So I knew that I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend 10 years in school. I really love this fitness thing. I've signed up for a good life fitness and the manager there just kind of on a whim offered me a job. So it wasn't until about six years or six, six months later that I kind of took her up on that as the next semester, as year three of university was starting. So year three started, I dropped out pretty much the very, very first day of year three. And then I applied on the last day to a personal training certification or personal training diploma here in Canada on the last day that you possibly could. So it's been an interesting ride. Amazing. Okay. And so I'm curious, now you're moving into the education side for people that have been in your position. So what would you say has led you down that path? Meaning, what are some of the common traps that you're seeing the newer trainers get into, at least in your area, that brought you to the education side? So the first thing for myself was that as a as a trainer like I obviously I had some idea of like how to build a basic program and stuff, how to work out itself. Like that knowledge was kind of there just to just out of doing it out of experience, but it was very surface level. So there's a billion different certifications out there, but the company that I work for, their focus is on education. So they provide some sort of education credits every year so that you can go out and, uh, and take your career seriously and want to like actually invest in yourself. So I started by taking, it was a week long, three or four day certification. And it just blew my mind. Like the, the experience that I got from that was just enough to make me know that one day I wanted to educate other trainers in that way because it left an impact. And I knew that for me, starting out in a career where I didn't really know enough, I knew that there's going to be other people down the line that will enter the industry in the same way that I did with almost no knowledge. And I just wanted to be a part of that journey. I love that. Okay, great. So what are some of the you said the basic programs that a lot of people tend to have under an understanding, but really basic level. So what are some of the components to a program that you think needs to happen that most people miss? Yeah. So a lot of the people I work with are people. I mean, I work with a wide range of people or a wide array of people, but a lot of the people that come to me have some form of of pain that they've been in or that they're currently in and they're hoping to avoid. Right. And I know from personal, for like personal experience, that pain is such a good demotivator, right? It, uh-huh. it sort of uh-huh. wants to keep us still and, and from moving forward. And I think a lot of people get in the mindset that like you, when you're in pain, there's like, there's no way out. You're trapped. You kind of have to stay where you are. You have to stop working out. So I think from a, a like a, a programming standpoint beyond just going to bodybuilding.com like I used to and and uh, just sort of selecting the chest and the back exercises and the calf exercise, whatever. There's a, there's a very real human component to programming that uh, I think needs to take into it needs to be taken into account. So mm-hmm. everyone will come to you with different areas of opportunity or strengths. And it's like it's trying to figure out where they need to work on 
and where they're strong and where we can double down. So for, for me, it, it comes from like looking at where they move or how they move and being able to prescribe exercises based on what's going to get them to their goals, get them to be able to move really well, get them to be able to get out of pain and so on and so forth. So I think that is that personal or that human component to the, to the programming is such an important thing. Yeah. So how do you, how do you coach and educate your trainers? Because I feel like for me, at least, and this is my opinion, I feel like there is, it's a nuanced conversation to, in terms of practicing discernment and knowing when the program needs to change versus staying the course. So I'm curious, what are some of the ways that you coach your trainers to really practice that type of discernment? How do you help them make the data-driven decision? So it's data-driven, of course, and that comes from just watching and paying attention and, and having that open conversation with your client, whether you're online or in person, like there's a person in front of you. So it's like, if you're watching the move, if you're lucky enough to be in person and like have that experience, because I think everyone should kind of start in person to some extent, because being able to work one-on-one with people is really important, but you have, you have very live real-time information that's kind of coming at you. So you're able to make those decisions by simply just, just watching. And if you don't know, like, if you don't know something, you can talk to me or you're like, you can Google it, or you can take different education courses, but beyond just simply watching your client, because that's not really actionable advice. I would say, I would say like teaching people from a, from a perspective of principles rather than just methods. So like coaching clients or training clients, it's like there's going to be certifications that you can take that focus on different things that you can do. And that that can be great. That can work for some people. And, and occasionally you can draw from, from that experience from a course you take as a trainer. But sometimes that, that breaks down and it's not going to work for everyone. So yeah. if we kind of understand the underlying principles of biomechanics or how the body works and how the body operates, how we breathe, things like that, like all of those things are are going to supersede just simple methods themselves. Because if we kind of understand how the body should be moving, we can get an idea of the things that we need to add into or expose our clients to real time. I love that. So you were talking about the principles. Would you walk us through the main, the core principles that your program your program uses? Yeah, for sure. I think the big ones are like resistance training principles for sure. Like there's, there's so many different things that we need, like from a movement or a range of motion perspective, like internal, external rotation of the hip, the shoulders as well, like flexion, extension of the spine, like all of these things are really important, but from a resistance training standpoint, I think that it can, it can lend to setting up exercises and reducing redundancies in programming. So Things like line of pull of, of, of a cable machine. So like trying to understand what direction that you're pulling and it's even just line of pull can be related to dumbbells or, or, or cables, whatever the case is in the case of cables, it's like aligning the cable with, with the muscle that you're trying to work. Right. So if you're like overhead here, making sure the cable's not like off in a weird direction so you can apply resistance to the, over the tension or create tension across fibers uh, a little bit more efficiently. So things like things like that, that will guide guide exercise, set up an execution. Center of mass is a big one. So understanding like 
where someone carries their center of mass, like if occasionally, especially in the pain clients that I work with, understanding where that person's carrying their weight or what their standard default of like operation is. And then like whether they carry it forward or a little bit more backwards, most people carry it forwards. You're going to be able to prescribe exercises that can push you back. Things like that, that are always at play for humans. Things like that, I think are really important to to understand. Okay. So I love this. And I, I, to me, understanding your center, understanding where people carry the weight, I would call that one of the principles that you mentioned that people miss, because I think when people hear principles, they're like, oh, okay, push, pull, squat, carry, hinge, those kinds of principles. But you're talking about things that I feel like people don't particularly ever look at, right? So if we're going to dive into and talk about things like carry, weight, how does someone look and, and do that type of assessment? So what are some of the assessments protocols that you go through before you even build a program for your client? Yeah. So you can take it down to literally just looking at like internal external rotation of the hip, like all those things that I kind of mentioned before, the things that we, we kind of need as humans to perform a, a squat or perform a deadlift or pick things up off the ground safely. But I like to, I like to, if when I can see how people move. So things like single leg, single leg Romanian deadlifts or walking lunges, or even just hanging from a bar, if that's accessible to the client, things like that, they reveal limitations in, in your hips, in your spine, in whatever, whatever you're looking at. So getting the client to move is, is always going to be the best way to do it because we might be able to have perfect access to a range of motion when we're standing still, right? But that active mobility or active range is going to be more applicable to your work with that client. So when they're moving in front of you, when you're prescribing exercises, getting an idea of how they move and their sort of default mode of, of moving is important for, for just prescribing exercise in general. So I would say those are like the big ones, like walking lunge for sure. It, it, it again, it's it all depends on the on the accessibility to the client, right? There's going to be people that they definitely cannot come to you and they can't do a walking lunge well, or they they can't do a single leg RDL. So for those people, I'll I'll, I'll lay them on the ground probably and get an get an idea of how their joints move themselves, and then from the limitations I see there, I'll then prescribe some exercises that can fix it. And then the the important thing is that kind of how I was mentioning before, but that live real time feedback, it's like, there's always information coming to you. So if there's something that just isn't working or isn't producing a change in a positive direction, it's like pivoting and shifting to a different exercise or something else, something more regressed potentially, or something more progressed, like really taking into account the the human component. Mm, yeah. And this is, this is good. So for your for your trainers that you typically begin to work with, what are some of the fast acting measures or actions that they could take that they can start implementing into their, into their practice or into their client repertoire right now that you, that you often see is the biggest dial mover for a lot of uh, coaches? 
in terms of in terms any of- terms, like in terms of like, what are some of the struggles that you tend to see? Like, I'll, I'll give you a, an example. Like a lot of my coaches would used to feel like when I was, when I was a fitness manager, they would feel like their clients are having a plateau. Like their clients are saying that they're doing all the right things, but they're not progressing or they're not losing weight or they're not progressing. So they're like, what's wrong with the program? So what are some of the things that you would have them look at? Yeah, for sure. So performance is always going to be like the proxy, right? That's that's the most important thing that we'll always need to look at. It's like, is our client getting better or are they sort of staying still? So understanding like the goal that we're, that we're trying to get after. So if we're trying to improve range of motion in the hips, mm-hmm. right? Are the exercises that we're prescribing going to, to improve that range of motion, right? Um, that's That's like the number one thing. And if it's not if it's not improving their performance or if it's not improving their range of motion or whatever desired outcome, whether it's to lose weight, whether it's to get stronger, it's like looking at the the program you've built and, and, and pivoting somewhere. Don't be so married to the thing that you put on paper because you can just erase it or delete it or whatever. It's like understanding where, where sort of the progress stops and where you need to pivot. Something, something actionable is always going to be just to, um, just to look at the goal that you're trying to achieve because goals are going to, goals are going to change. There might be one overlying goal of weight loss, right? But in order to get someone to weight loss, we might need to get them to, to move well, to, to squat well, to, to stay out of pain, whatever the case is. So there's always going to be these little micro goals that are going to, that are going to kind of lead us to that overarching goal. So I would say performance is the biggest thing. If your client isn't making those additional changes or or they're not getting their desired outcome that you have for them as well, then just, just pivot. I love that. And so when it comes to making the decision to pivot and to measure performance, what are some of the baseline metrics that you keep in place? Meaning how do you determine whether or not it is it is stay the course type of performance or you need to pivot performance. Yeah, for sure. For a lot of my clients, it's like, it's movement quality for sure. Like this is, this is probably the most relevant, relevant piece for, for my personal clientele is, is movement quality. So if I'm not seeing the client gain better access to range of motion, or if, if an exercise that we're doing isn't necessarily producing a positive change to a different movement, like let's say I want the client to squat really well. And for whatever reason, they're like, whatever we're trying to do isn't improving their position in the, in the bottom, bottom of a squat or isn't improving range of motion in the ankles or whatever the case is. If that exercise that I'm prescribing isn't making a positive change to some other area of their fitness that I'm specifically implementing that exercise for. Like if I'm implementing a squat or a split squat, like front foot elevated kind of goblet hold to help shift that center of mass back. If that's not making a positive change to someone's squat position, then that might not necessarily be the problem or looking at other ways to expose that client to that range of motion more often or finding different ways that's more accessible to that client to shift their center of mass back. That's one, one example of the clients that I work with. Something that I see pretty often is like, I think everyone should be able to squat, um, right? They should have the function of the ability to squat. Not, not necessarily that they have to, not everyone needs to squat, 
but a lot of the time I'll use the squat as like this, this goal, this, this expression of function that, that humans have, right? So to be able to squat is a very functional thing. So a lot of the time I use that, their ability to squat as a, as a, as a performance measure. Oh, really? The squat. Okay. So um, let me ask you this. Okay. Because you'll, you'll see people that will say that they don't have the build to squat. You know, I'll even use me as an example, right? I am, you know, a wide or whatever, considered a wide and I do much better deadlifting. I mean, I'll, I'll rip up 220 from the ground before you'll get asked to grass. So <laughs> your, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think, I think so much of like human movement, unless there's something structurally different between each person, I think everyone should have the access or the ability to squat. It just might not be unlocked kind of thing. So a lot of times center of mass is is back to that one principle I was talking about was like, that's going to be usually be the thing that gets in the way for most people. So being able to to control your center of mass will always be sort of that determining factor of, of like your ability to squat. Cause like putting a barbell on your back is like a kick to the back. It's like someone's Sparta kicking your back, right? It shifts your center of mass so forward. So if you don't have the ability and the proprioception to sort of shift your body back, orient your pelvis in a really good position, you're never, you're never really going to be able to squat well. Anyways, there's things around it though. Like there's heel elevate, like using ramps. That's, that's basically a tool. When we do that, it's basically a tool to, to help shift our center of mass back. That's really, that's really all that that tool is. So I would say if you can't do a really good body weight squat, elevate the heels and add like some sort of anterior load or like hold a weight out in front of you, either goblet or counterbalance kind of thing. And I, I bet you, you can squat. I can. If I, if I lift my heels, me personally, if I lift my heels and I can interior, then I'm, I'm fine. It's funny because I spent a lot of years of my own personal life thinking that I didn't have ankle mobility. Yeah. And that was why I couldn't squat when that's just plain and simply not true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, and that's like, that's kind of the fitness industry as a whole. Hey, it's like, we kind of look in these directions that like, oh, my, my knee can't get over my toe. So it must be my ankles that are the problem. Right. And I think that extends to a lot of, a lot of different things, whether it be nutrition, whether it be whatever the case is. Uh, I think we always end up looking in kind of the wrong direction. And uh, I don't think we can really blame any one thing in particular. I think it's human nature. I think it's human nature to like, to, to, look at something and imply or kind of assume correlation and causation of the same thing. Right. So regardless of what industry you're, you're in, I'm sure that that is, that's a very real factor. Mm, yeah. So true. So true. So I'm curious for you personally, and for the trainers and coaches that you work with, what are some of the ways that you have continued to stay motivated and continued to educate yourself in terms of continuing to sharpen the saw when it feels like, oh, I've arrived. And I'm putting that in quotes, meaning like, I always talk about how complacency is where dreams go to yeah. die. So how do you continue to sharpen the saw? How do you continue to develop your skills? What are some of the things that inspire you? Yeah, that's, I, I completely agree with you. Like 
I think that idea that I've arrived or like that I that I know everything is like such a bad place to be. Like I don't I don't take a ton of of certifications anymore, really, because it's kind of shifted from a place of like I'm not necessarily trying to learn new methods or new things, and that's a lot of the certifications out there. But I think the thing that keeps you keeps you humble is like continuing to work with people. And it seems like such weird advice, but it's like working with people just when you think that you know everything and you think that the things that you do like work 100% of the time, like someone's going to come along and they're just going to throw a wrench in the machine, right? Like not everything works for everyone. There's a lot of things there's like based on the principles and stuff, like most of the time you can get somewhere where they need to be, but I think just the fact that every human is different and everyone's going to come to you from different walks of life keeps you pretty motivated to just keep learning and keep, keep, keep trying at least to learn more and to, to vary your personal biases as well. On top of that, I'd say the thing that keeps me motivated is just knowing that I don't know everything. So it's a constant pursuit. Like I know that I'm never going to be the best or I never, I know that I'm never going to be the smartest person in the fitness industry. There's some brilliant minds out there, brilliant educators out there. Some that I've had the the, the ability to work under and I'm appreciative of that. But I think being in a room where there are smarter people than you is a pretty good motivator to just, to just keep sharpening your skills or keep trying to improve. And uh, even beyond that, I'd think looking kind of outside your scope to some extent, not acting outside of your scope of practice, right? Like I never want to, I never want to act outside my scope, but like trying to get a better understanding of, of sort of the things that other professions deal with. So like understanding like physio, physiotherapy and like some of the, the approaches that they might do. And then if you kind of know those things, then you can have a better conversation when you do send a client to physio, things like that. Like I went to school for two years for a diploma. I don't know everything, everything, most of the education that I've done is on my own. So going out to this world where the body is incredibly complex and knowing that you don't know everything is, is power enough. I agree. I agree. And it's funny because sometimes I I have moments in my career and in my life where I'm like, I know I don't know everything. And then I learn something new and then think, oh my gosh, I've been breaking all these people. <laughs> oh my gosh, I've done it wrong. And it's just not true. We get to live in the end. So I'm curious, what what would you say is one of the hardest challenges that you've had to face in working with people and how'd you, and what did you do to overcome it? Um. I think the hardest thing is always going to be for the most part, if like, if you're working in person with people, the minimum that I let people work with me for the most part is, is twice a week. Like I won't let them do once a week because I think beyond that, there's just, unless they're someone who's really motivated, like they're the amount of, the amount of time that you have, the amount of influence you have is so limited. So it's really tough to get people where they need to be when you know, they're not like, when they're not motivated to do it on their own. So again, kind of going on, there's an overarching theme of this human component to it, but like working with people itself, like you need time to change things. So the the biggest struggle that I've had for the most part with people is just motivating them to keep going or making sure that they have everything they need, or there's, there's going to be things that, or people you come across that are just going to be hard to work with. And 
the biggest thing that I've seen in improvement is this, the communication with that client being open and honest, like not doing them any, you're not doing them any favors by kind of babying them. Some clients need to be, need to just be told how it is. It's, it's, it's kind of, again, it sounds not very PC, but I think, I think for the most part, it's always going to be us, the, the, the client, you know, yourself too. Like if you ever want to make a change in your life, you are always going to get in your own way for the most part. You can have all the tools, you can have all the things that you need, but sometimes it, it's hard to make a change. So just being open and honest and having that, having a, a communication style that works with the client is, is the biggest thing that I've had to, to figure out as a trainer. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And it's one of those power skills that I learned from the art of coaching, right? Where people that people double tap and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I do that. But then they don't really. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Because <laughs> it's so much easier, like in your head, it's so easy right? It, it really is. It's like, you're like, why can't I make this change? And why can't I adjust? Why can't I, can I add this habit to my life? Because when you're thinking about it, it's just, it's easy. It's, it's easy to double tap. Like you said, it's easy to like, to have that thought of like, oh yeah, I want to change, but it's so much harder to do it in, in, in actuality, in real life. So yeah, just trying to, trying to figure out ways that your client can, can actually make positive change when they don't really want to. Or they want to, but their brain just won't let them and they don't understand why. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where the coaching kind of comes into play too, where it's like you, when you come across enough people, like, of course, you're going to come across things throughout your career that you need to navigate for the first time. And when you're first starting out, that's going to be a lot. That's going to be every client that you have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like... Being able to find and match that communication style is absolutely crucial for the client. Yeah, I mean, it is. And it's it's sometimes hard to find, right? I, and I, I speak from experience, right? Because it's one of those, I learned communication skills and matching and ener- energetically matching and how to build rapport in an unconscious way so that everyone feels comfortable. And it's like, oh yeah, I know, I'm doing it. And then you realize, oh wait, no, you're not. You know, what are some of the tools that you recommend people look at when they are trying to evaluate their types of communication skills? Like, what are some of the things that a coach could do to start getting present to how they're communicating? I I don't have a good answer for this. Mm. And the reason is, is because I just kind of stumbled through it. So when I first started as a, when I first started as a personal trainer, I like just coming out of university, out of high school, I was not a social person growing up. And and this, the idea of this, the face-to-face, the podcast, the live recording, the teaching in front of people, the the um, every, all of that stuff would freak me out. Um, and working for the gym that I that I worked at, Good Life Fitness, I think was was a game changer for my life. And simply because I was thrown in the deep end. I went from really not having to communicate with people all that much to being forced to walk up to 10 random people on any given day and start a conversation. So it's like, I think 
for, for myself, I don't, I never really went to any specific resources or whatever to, to talk with people. I really just dove into it and, and had conversations with people and got, got really uncomfortable. And I, yeah, I don't know. I would, I would say that's the, that's maybe the advice then is just expose yourself to people, get into conversations, get into like, put yourself out there. Because yeah, I would never, I would never be the person that I am if I did not take that sort of leap into coaching and leap into personal training and have managers that sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone and, and, and having to talk to people a lot more. Yeah, it's, that's, it's powerful. It's powerful. It's powerful. It's interesting. I'm having this conversation with someone right now in my DM and I get why people are scared to say hello because Because the truth is that we respond based on our experiences. And so when I said hello to someone, they were like, I can't believe you're so awful. (laughs) I was like, whoa, what happened to you where you feel like that? Right. And it's because the people have evidence of, of people like we've all had experiences of people sliding into our DMS or, or coming to, I'll I'll speak to the in-person experience where trainers will like tap you when you're like in the middle of a sprint and your headphones are in, right? Like this is part of what it's like to like, go be a human. Don't get people hurt. Right. And we've all had experiences where it's like, whoa, A, can you take no for an answer? And B, this is like the worst possible time you can talk to me. Right. And so we've all had those kinds of experiences and then we carry them with us. So, of course, we're nervous to go and introduce and say hello to our to other people. It's definitely like one of those things where it's like, hey, be a human. And I don't know how to teach you how to do that, but just like be normal. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like reading the room is such an important thing. It's like, yeah, like, obviously, I'm not going around every day and just like talking to random people all the time. I'll start a conversation. But again, it comes down to like, are they doing treadmill sprints? Like, is this a safety hazard for this person to like go up and like, oh, how is your, how, how are you doing? How's your workout going? It's like, I'm dying. Thank you. Could I just die alone? But I, I, yeah. it's just, yeah, just read the room. Be a, be a, be a good human, be a good neighbor to your fellow person. Right. I think that's something that that's missing from a lot of just, just life in general. Now, I think, I think life and the things that the way that it's going, it's so easy to just go through it alone. And uh, like every, I was just at, at Ikea or no Home Depot with my wife over the weekend. And there was like six spots that were just dedicated to like park and pick up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we really like, we're gearing society towards a place where we don't need any social interaction at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's really weird because not to take this in a very non-fitness direction, but it still kind of is related, but it's. I don't know. I think that we we grew up and we go through life with people's help and with with uh, the ability to to make positive changes in other people's lives. So it's like trying to remove that as as much as we can is such a weird thing to me. Yeah, it 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 is. It is. And this is why the human component is so important and it absolutely does apply because it's like we learn all these skills and then and then we we don't learn how to implement it and implementation is ultimately comes down to how effectively you can communicate period Mm -hmm. because even even if we're like just take the money out of it for a second and take the business component out of it 
you're not going to, to be able to create adaptations and increase performance without adherence and adherence requires communication period. Yep. A hundred percent. Like clients need clients needs and wants need to be understood. And it's like, we're trying to, for, for people that are coming to you with really no experience at all in the fitness, fitness industry, or like we're working out or whatever the case is, it's like, they have things that they want to achieve. You have kind of timelines through your experience of working with people and you like kind of need to marry them to a certain extent and like get people from point A to point X with those minor shifts in, in their, like in their, their, their expectations and, and everything. It's like, Setting realistic expectations for people is, I would say, the biggest thing for the human component of coaching. It's like understanding that they have this goal and you're going to get there, but you need to go through 10 different stops before we get there. And there's going to be ups and there's going to be downs. And like communicating that in a way to the client that is not demotivating, but exciting and that brings passion to like what you're doing. I think a lot of the times when I've worked with clients for myself, they kind of see that I'm a nerd about exercise and training and stuff. And they see that my passion comes through and that if they kind of trust me, we can kind of get there. We can get to a combined goal together. So good. So good. Okay. So this has been amazing. So thank you so much for pouring into me and to the community. And I would definitely want to be mindful of your time. So for those of you who want to connect with you, learn more from you, what are some of the best ways and places that I could send that? I would say the biggest place is Instagram. I like Instagram a lot because you can kind of forge that communication with other people. We can follow, we can, we can interact back and forth. You can send me DMs or whatever you want. If you want to ask questions, anything, I'm available for anyone who's listening who'd like to do that. My Instagram handle is at brandon.schultz. So. Okay, amazing. And we'll make sure that we link all of that up in the show notes. So it'll be easy for people to come and find you. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so good. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.